2: Hi, I'm Koss. I'm on Twitter at panda 17 I write for Carl Mercato, and I'm currently a freelancer ball writer. I also started writing for Manchester League.
0: Hello, my name is Thomas Nygren. I write about Liverpool for a Swedish website called lfcsv.se.
1: Hello, guys, and thanks so much uh, for hopping on the show today. We've got a little, uh, a little bit of international flair here with the three of us uh, for a uh, show <laughs> about a league in England, but Nevertheless, um, still plenty to talk about in this league, obviously. Uh, Today, caused much to your chagrin, I'm sure, a 4-0 loss to Everton. And and while United have been trending downward a little bit, I don't think many would have predicted this scoreline, but it has resulted in a very interesting stat, which is, this is now your worst defensive record in the Premier League era, uh, and and, you know, there's still four matches left. Um, Also, I ran this stat myself right before this, last season... You'd conceded 26 goals at this point in the season through 34 matches. The year before that, it was 24. So the the two previous seasons, you'd conceded 50 goals at this stage of the season. This year, it's been 48. Why do you think there's been such regression defensively at Manchester United this season?
2: Um, I don't really know where to start from because the club has sort of made no real progress since Sir Alex, Sir Alex retired, and let alone stagnating. We have just fallen back and regressed as a whole during the six A period. And it's not just this season, the place we are on the table. We probably just deserve to be there where the way we played today. And that's probably our standard. And as they are portraying it to be, it was really a reality check. And United have been left to be a sixth place standard side that sometimes give a go for the top four as simple as that. And to know where things went wrong this season, we have to go back to two points from last season. Uh, One was when Jose Mourinho was handed a new contract and was promised a certain amount of backing by Ed Woodward. Uh, That was the point when the hopes of a lot of people was raised. and It just told everyone that Jose will be backed with a lot of fun so that United genuinely challenged for the title um, this season. It gave Jose as well an impression that he is wanted at the club and then he will be allowed to sign the players he wants. But I think Ed Woodward didn't know that getting to second place with a team that is currently losing 4-0 to is pretty good for a team that we currently have. And despite finishing second with the squad last season, Mourinho was made to feel and look like probably an idiot, basically. But I just loved everyone at the club, the fans and the obviously the media, the man just begged of funds despite having taken an average side to second because Woodward didn't just trust his instincts at all as if he knows football more than Mourinho himself and if that would have never happened it might have been, we might have been in the top four this season and maybe we could have even been challenging for the title and if Jose had signed the players he wanted this probably would have happened considering the fact that we finished second last season with a team that lost four twelve. And as much as I wanted him to be gone by the time he was sacked in a parallel universe, I think, he is still being back by Woodward and United are probably talented, the title as well. And the second point where it went wrong from last season, and it's also having big repercussions this season, and the way the club is being run and governed and the way it's working, is when Alexis Sanchez was signed, and he was handed a wage of about £400,000 mm. a week, and today we're seeing the effects of that. And everything that, just about everything that happens on the pitch for this club can very well be linked either to Ed Woodward mismanaging the club or either to Alexis Sanchez being brought into the club last January. City knew that they are going in, going in with the wrong idea of this sign Sanchez, with that massive wage and stayed away because they are not a business corporation. Having Alexis in the side is... is pretty disappointing and it's like he just turns up half bothered just basically walking his dogs about and has brought everything is in the current squad down players who say deserve who don't really deserve big wages asking are asking for double wages than they currently get Pogba I think agreed he's probably the best player on our team he is not consistent enough but and he's also not committed enough a lot of times. But does he deserve around £400,000 um, a week? Not for me. And fans can abuse Herrera for asking for £200,000 uh, £200, a week when Ashley Young actually earns uh, £110,000 a week. And Herrera is currently on a £75,000 uh, a week contract. And I don't really blame him. Because I really just go out there and blame Edward Woodward. The balance of the club has just gone down the drain ever since Alexis Sanchez was signed, Phil Jones and Chris Mauling had a new contract instead of handing Jose Mourinho the money to make new signing. I think no other sane club will make these decisions and it's just that we just have this tendency to keep woods at the club and that's something that's holding us back big time because if you look at the three clubs that for me are are the more established top three clubs, they are City, Spurs and Liverpool. They have exposed off their deadwoods so easily and effortlessly and they've brought in better players for them. But United don't pack their manager well enough and hand useless deadwoods new contract. And that's not really how you run a club despite the world calling it the richest club in the world. And just about everything that the club has done wrong or everything that's gone wrong at, at this club can be traced back to an error that that Ed Woodward made. Even the fact that Soja was appointed as a permanent manager in what late March, I think it was twenty eighth of March, shows how out of depth Woodward is. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not part of the Ole outbreak. Yet. I'm I, I don't want to say that because when Ole was appointed appointed as the interim manager, the club had said that the announcement for the permanent manager will be made at the end of the season. If we had someone who knows how how a football club is run, we would have not made the announcement in March. Mm-hmm. Never in a million years. Because he... Because of... Because a man who knows how to run a football club knows what interim managers are and the initial bounce they bring before they are actually hired on a permanent basis. Woodward but hired Souza permanently because he loves the commercial aspect and he sometimes just loves the attention United get in the media and just about everywhere. And not saying, and I mean, saying that Ole out will not make any sense because we basically, we called mad or all that stuff. But the fact that Ole was doing well as the interim boss was also down to the fact that the the players had something to prove during that time. They had a zip zip about everything. They wanted to prove to Ole that to, and to the world, what they really are, and the permanent announcement has taken just all the momentum away. That is very natural for all, say, the interim managers in football history, because as soon as the interim managers are appointed as a permanent managers, the performance do performances do dip to an extent. And if Woodward had the footballing sense and knowledge of what happens when you hire a hire an interim manager on a permanent basis, he would have announced. Solskjaer as a permanent manager at the end of the season and would have handed in the money and the shiny new toys, so-called toys, to play with when the summer transfer window opened. But I sometimes just feel that what currently United are, they're just being haunted by all these ills of modern-day football, be it being run by a man who does not know what football is, basically being run by a banker, and an investment banker, and about being played around by agents, or in terms of having players who act as if they are bigger than the club. It just defines everything wrong that football has these days.
1: Yeah, all interesting points, especially from a broad sense. Uh, Thomas, coming to you now with hopefully not too much glee in your voice, especially at the back, (laughs) what do you think
0: has gone wrong for United this season? Well, uh, as a Swede, of course, I would like to put the blame on the Norwegian, but uh, (laughs) it's not that easy. (laughs) Um, I've been waiting for Manchester United's defense to fall apart, like they've done in the past months or so, because the big issue this season to me is that uh, De Gea has been human. He has saved their defensive record for a while now, and uh, this year it's been different. He's still, of course, one of the best in the league, but he has not been as good as he's been in the past, where he has saved them against Liverpool a lot of times. But this season, when we played them, he didn't make the saves that he usually do. And uh, the midfield isn't strong enough. If you look at Nemanja Matic today, when Sigurdsson scored the second goal, he just runs along with uh, with Sigurdsson and watches him when he scores. Uh, Fred, McTominay, none of them have been good enough in the games I've seen them play. And uh, Paul Pogba, is, uh, he's a talented player, scores a few goals, makes many assists, but uh, he's lazy when it's, uh, when it's, when he's defending. And I think that's hurting Manchester United. And the back four, it's the worst I've seen from a United team in many, many years. Victor nilsson Lindelöf has been decent, and uh, now they're playing him to the right. So the players next to him aren't players who should be part of a Manchester United team. Phil Jones, Chris Smalling, Ashley Young, Valencia, they should have been out of the door a few seasons ago when they are giving them new contracts. And as a Liverpool supporter, of course, <laughs> I like I like the way that they're playing now that they are giving support to the players who shouldn't be there. But um, if you want to compete for a place in the Champions League, you shouldn't you shouldn't have a back four with Jones and Smalling in the middle. They are good enough to play in the uh, Teams at the in the middle or at the bottom half, not in the top. Uh, of course, they were the same players last season, but uh, since they haven't been saved by the way as often this season, it makes it more obvious how average these players are. Uh, you can't blame Zooljär yet because uh, the players isn't good enough, and Jose Mourinho, even though he's a very boring coach, he is a coach who can uh, build a good defense, and not even him can do, could uh, build a defense around these players. So I'm a bit surprised that they they keep giving these players new contracts because uh, they won't get any better. They, I read that they're releasing Valencia after this season and uh, they need to build a new back four around Victor the lindelov and hopefully for Manchester United they can keep the Gea and maybe have him more motivated next season because when he's uh, not saving the goals that you should do, they are in big trouble. And you can see that on uh, Sigurdsson's goal today because De last season would have saved that easily. So basically, I think their players aren't good enough. And uh, when they don't have the world's best goalkeeper behind them, it's uh, quite obvious.
1: Yeah, I think both of you have made some excellent points touching on um, the, the support. Uh, from from the higher-ups at the club for the managers. I mean, the, the defense has regressed largely because it's just regressed. A lot of it is just natural age regression. Um, they were getting performances from Valencia at right-back that seemed unlikely at the time, based on the fact that he was an aging winger that just got shoved into defense. Um, and he was providing enough going forward to kind of warrant it. And then there, there's been very little attacking output from either him or Young throughout this season. And I think that's been a big reason why you know, on balance, it seems like things have gotten worse. Everybody's known for years that Smalling and Jones probably weren't the ideal pair, although neither of them um, have played <laughs> that much uh, this season. And then the replacements, this is supposed to be the next generation. Both Bayer and Lindelof were arguably, you know, the best prospects at that position at the time that they were signed. But neither of them were developed very well. Lindelof is finally getting minutes. I, I think he's kind of learning on the job at the moment. But that that didn't work in front of them. Uh, Mocic got older I I realize he had a bit of a resurgence there With uh, the rest of the United squad when Solskjaer came in um, After being really, really poor Towards the end of Mourinho's tenure Um, But he's getting older I don't think he has the lateral movement To cover a lot of the midfield anymore And as you mentioned, uh, Thomas I I think De Gea has has gone down a level And, And I don't know how much of that is ability As much as it is confidence And a lot of goals that are being scored on United Aren't his fault but then when it comes time for those massive saves, sometimes maybe you just don't have the confidence to to make the decision instinct-wise, and instead you think about it for a second, and then like you mentioned on the and goal, as soon as you've thought about it, you're already too late. You, you need to have already been on your way. Um, there have been so, still some very good saves from De Gea. Uh, the match against us particularly sticks out because he made what it was like 11 or something insane, um, which is one of the reasons why I don't think it's like an ability drop-off for De Gea. I just think it's a confidence one. Um, and as the people surrounding him get better, I, I think we'll see the De Gea of old. But uh, it, it's going to be hard to invest because one of the reasons everybody was fine with Ashley Young playing at left back was Luke Shaw was coming back. Well, now you, Luke Shaw has finally played the minutes, but that hasn't improved the whole nearly enough. At right back, you kind of tolerated Valencia. Then you bring in Dalot, who is very young, but it does look promising, but he's just not there yet. So th- w- what are you doing in the back line actually i'll I'll bring this back to you cause what would you bring in another center back knowing that you still have Baye and lindelof at the club that were supposed to be the next generation do you give up on one of them bring somebody else in do you bring more wing backs even though you you kind of seem to be aiming towards the low and shaw is the pairing if if ole was supported in defense what would you want to see fixed in that back line
2: i mean i just fixed just about everything there is because, as you just said, that Shaw and Dalo are probably the the more preferred choice at left back and then right back. And I think while I sort of like the player by years, but he sometimes give me the gives me the impression of being a ten year old kid or something. He's just way too inconsistent. I mean, he, uh, when the season started, he was pretty poor against Brighton, and then he was dropped, and then he made some appearances from the bench, and then I think. As soon as um, Sojac came in, he uh, did play well in a couple of games. And then as soon as the PSG game came, uh, he's never been sane after that in the first team. And that I don't see by to be a player who can be our first choice on a consistent basis. And that's why I think we, and by the way, I don't want Chris Molling to leave United because I think he sometimes does play really well in the bigger game. And I want Phil Jones to leave. He should have left last season himself. Um, Chris Malling and Eric Bailly should stay. And we should get someone. Um, I don't think we'll get Koulibaly. Because he won't join a club that's playing the Europa League. Although Napoli themselves played the Europa League. But I don't think we will be able to sign him. And Napoli are a really tough club to negotiate with. Their owner is, pretty, is a very hard man to negotiate with. And uh, if not um, uh, Koulibaly, I'll probably sign Costas Manolas from Roma and a right-back and a left-back because we need uh, cover there. Valencia is leaving and Young probably should not stay at the club. And I think we should just go back for Rafael because he'll be a free agent in summer. He'll probably be... I mean we should go, uh, go for rafael if we don't have any other choice because we should initially try for Aaron van bisaka but if we don't sign him we should maybe just try thomas Mounier because his contract expires in uh, in the summer of 2020 and psg are probably looking to sell him and he'll be a good choice at right back not the, not the perfect one but if that does not work out we should just we should just bring Raphael back in because he knows the club, loves the club, and he still loves the club going by his Twitter and Instagram posts. And a left-back, I'm not sure. Because there's not really a lot of left-backs out there who can, um, say, match the requirements that United have. Plus, it's like, um, can we sign all of them? And because the way we United were played around with by agents in the club, It's like they charge about 30 or 40 million extra for players. Whenever United come in for him, it was clear when Inter tried to rob us with asking for about 60 million for Ivan Perisic. And I think the left-back position is going to be the toughest. Although some people can say that Alexandro can be signed. And I think he'll probably be just about good enough because he's not been the defender that he used to be about um say two seasons ago because he's regressed since last season and this even this season he's not been as good as he was last to last season and i think that's what uh defensive transfer strategy should be like Mm. Uh,
1: all right well hopefully uh for your sake uh, things improve the rest of the season and next season with a bit of investment (laughs) uh and you did mention some pretty big names there and uh Koulibaly and Manolas, and as much as I would not love to have to face them every year, it would be nice to see players, and especially defenders of that caliber, uh, coming to the Premier
2: League. I would at the club, because I really like mm. him for the sort of player he is, but it's just that uh, if we are playing him with Lindelof, they're just sort of the same sort of player. They're both, yeah. both ball-playing centre-back. He's not the sort of defender that Koulibaly can do.
1: Yeah, agreed. Um next up let's talk a little bit about Europe obviously all of our clubs uh were in uh, European competition sorry cause just kind of hammering home on you right now <laughs> sorry about that um uh but do you guys think that the clubs who did advance in Europe Tottenham and Liverpool in the Champions League Arsenal and Chelsea in the Europa are at a disadvantage in each of their races obviously Liverpool chasing for the title uh then uh, the other three chasing for a top 4 spot um do, do you think like congestion will be an issue? Depth will be an issue for those teams? Or do you think maybe the kind of momentum and confidence from continuing in all those competitions could actually be a benefit?
2: Um, as much as I think that all of it is, is a part and parcel of the game and the whole of the season, these four teams will be affected by the congestion. And not because it's too many games to play, but because they're not as deep as Manchester City are, who are probably the most equipped team of all the English sides to play in both the bigger competitions, even when the fixture list is very, very congested. Especially Spurs. And I've got to say that I really admire the way they have adjusted to it and the way they've got on with it despite having so many injuries and despite having just about no one. And the way Pochettino gets on with it is something no manager can ever do. He's hardly complained or cribbed about it. And he's still done a very good job with the players that he has. And but I'm not sure how long it will go on for. It's on suspended and so-called out for, uh, I don't know how many weeks he'll be out for, but he'll probably be out for about a month if I'm not wrong, at least two or three weeks more. And with Hurricane out as well, they don't really look more in a promising spot. It's good that they probably have the easiest of fixtures out there because they've played City. They've not, not got any of the bigger teams now. They played Wolves away. Wolves, who are obviously a bogey team for the big club. They do have Everton left, the, who it
1: turns out are good every other week.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's there. But I think Spurs will be fine in that one because it's, after all, at their home. <laughs> the new home. And going into the end of the season, I also feel that they could reach the Champions League final. I generally think that. And. But in the end if there's anything that's gonna cause them when they play in the Champions League final, it's just again the lack of that and the lack of finding that they have that they have had this season. And for Liverpool, we know how far crucial their um forward line is. For me, they haven't really proved that they can rely on any other players apart from the front three to get goals on a consistent basis. One Aldo, I know did score today, but they hardly have a game changing midfielder from the bench. Someone like Aaron Ramsey, if if to be if I'm precise, if one of their front three gets injured, I'm not sure how they good they will be, and especially against a side like Barcelona, I can haunt them in the same way that things similar things haunted them in the Champions League final last season against Real Madrid. And for Chelsea and Arsenal, they are less likely likely to suffer, not because they are in the Europa League, but because they've got more depth than the other side. One position that both of them will struggle in is probably the defence because we saw how bad Arsenal were without Socrates today and Chelsea have Rudiger injured and that would be a big blow to them. That's exactly why I think both of these sides are looking to sign a top centre-back and the fact that they missed out on some because I think Chelsea really wanted Daniel Irogani although I'm glad they didn't sign him I don't really like him and rate him as a player they the fact that they could not really sign one centre-back each, uh, I mean a top centre-back, that will and probably could come back to harm them at the, when the season ends.
0: Uh, well, um, I was hoping for City to get, get past first because I think that it <laughs> maybe would have given us a better chance to get past them in the league. Yeah. I I would think that their focus could have been on the trophy they've never won the Champions League and that it, it might have been the case that it would have a, give us a better chance in the league and that if they, maybe they, they would rest players when they played in the league. But now there is no chance for us to rely on Champions League for them. So I don't think it should be a problem for us. Maybe it can be a bit tough mentally to go from Barcelona to Newcastle in a few days, but... Uh, We'll play Huddersfield this Friday at home, and then we'll have a few days rest before Barcelona. Then we play Newcastle, Barcelona, and Wolves. We don't have many injuries now, and uh, we should be able to cope with the schedule. Of course, if we get an injury on uh, some of the key players like Sala, Van Dijk, so plays like that, it, would, it can be an issue. But um, against Porto, we started with the Rigi. I think we can start Rigi against Huddersfield on Friday, and maybe rest Mané, Sala, or uh, Firmino so i don't think that they have to start every game but of course it's uh, important for us to have them fit for the for the bigger games um as long as we have a chance to win the league it shouldn't be a problem with the fatigue for the games we should be we should be, should be mentally ready and uh, in the midfield we have many players to to rotate with well. we can be can use uh, henderson milner fabinho Vinaldum. In the back four, we can use both uh, Gomez and are back from injuries and playing really well. Lovren soon fits to play. So I think we have a big enough squad to compete both in the Champions League and in the Premier League, especially since there aren't many games left. And every game in the Premier League now is games that we should be able to win. We have two games at home and a game away to Newcastle. is so isn't that such a big journey. And... Uh, Newcastle is managed by Benitez. They shouldn't have anything to play for in that game, so maybe he can give <laughs> us a, <laughs> an easier <laughs> game. But um, I think it will be a bigger problem for Spurs because uh, they have a few injuries, and uh, I think that it might be harder to get motivated for a game about the top four spots in the league when you have a chance to win the trophy. If Spurs uh, are going to the Champions League final and uh, are maybe fifth in the... Premier League for the for the last round. I think that it, they might rest a few players to be fit for the Champions League final. But uh, it can also be and um, bring energy to your team to play in Europe. So it's hard to say. Um, I think there were a few signs at Etihad yesterday that Spurs were tired. But uh, on the other hand, you played maybe the best team in the world, so it's quite hard to. Uh, quite hard to say anything bad about Spurs losing with one goal to Manchester City away. Uh, if you look at the teams in the Europa League, I'm not sure about how many injuries Arsenal and Chelsea have. But uh, I think that if Chelsea lose to United next weekend, I, I'm quite sure they will uh, start to look more at the Europa League than the Premier League. And uh, hope to win the Champions League spot due to, from that competition. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Chelsea and Arsenal play each other in the final. And uh, if both finish outside top four, which is a possibility, it would be a very interesting game to watch.
1: Yeah, that Manchester United-Chelsea match is now just massive, especially with Arsenal dropping points this week. Uh, I think most people would have scheduled Tottenham to lose points against City uh, in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure cause after the match today, you probably thought you were out of the top four chase and then that Arsenal loss kind of drags you right back up into it.
2: Um, no, but we were, I think we were out of the top four race as soon as we lost to Worlds. Mm-hmm. I just I had that sort of reaction to it. Going on in my head.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, so, so for these four clubs dealing with the European stuff, I, I agree with most of you guys. I do think Tottenham have... Probably the worst depth out of everybody, not, not just in general, which is also true, but also in particular at this moment. I um, mentioned the uh, Kane, Sissoko, and uh, mm, I forget who the third one was. We have lots of injuries. Oh, it's son suspended, I think is what you were saying, for that uh, Champions League match. Um, I do think he was a little tired against City, kind of to your point, Thomas, about um, time being tired at the weekend. Understandable, after the insanity that was the match on Wednesday against City, uh, that did see us go through. Also, not to um, hype myself too much, but I did say we would win one of the three matches against City. Hopefully it would be enough. <laughs> and uh, it was, because we obviously formally lost the second match, uh, but went through on away goals. Um, but uh, I think the other three might be okay. I think Arsenal might struggle, especially um, as Jacques is dealing with injuries. Mustafi has just been really poor, and that, that was on display again today where I I, I think he was responsible for it two of those goals directly. Um, so maybe they don't really have the depth. They have to constantly rely on him. If they were full rotating um, Aubameyang and Lacazette, that would probably benefit them because then if one of them goes down with injury, one of them gets tired, you just play the other one. But uh, playing both of them gives them their best chance to win, but playing both of them also uh, means that they'll both be running on a little bit uh, shorter fumes there in, in the rest of their matches. I think Chelsea's depth is good enough to get away with all of this. Um especially because Giroud has just been better than uh, uh, Higuain, which I I wasn't optimistic would be a great signing, but even I didn't think it it would go this poorly um, with his stint at Chelsea. Uh, But yeah, it's just going to be a crazy race to the end. Um, I think Manchester United have been given a little bit of a boost, both with the Arsenal loss and with the fact that uh, they've gone out of the Champions League and can just focus on this competition. Perhaps they didn't show this week. Um, But that was, you know, a post-Champions League week, which traditionally clubs struggle in, um, much like post-Europa League weeks. Um, So maybe we'll see the recovery from here on out. If they could do anything against City midweek, that would obviously bolster their chances even further and also do Thomas a great favor. Um, But we'll we'll see. I I think, like I said, I, I don't think it'll have a blanket effect. I think it is a pretty big detriment. For Tottenham, in terms of a race for the top four, obviously as a club, it's incredible playing in a Champions League semi-final against a team that you probably think you can get past, admittedly, knowing that the two previous clubs they faced definitely thought that they would get past Ajax. Um, so, very much not putting the the cart before the horse there. Um, but it's better than playing Liverpool or Barcelona. Um and if we could get to a Champions League final, that w- that would just be incredible. And, and even if we didn't win it, much like Liverpool last season, just making that f- making it that far makes people want to come in and join that project. Um, and obviously, that's that's worked out greatly for for Liverpool, bringing in Allison and um, Fabinho, who I still don't understand why his usage is so limited. Oh, also, just quick aside, brilliantly handled on the head injury um, for Fabinho today. I often criticize clubs for. Lack of concussion protocol, but that they did very well there. Um, but not to get too dragged into that. Um, I think United are the big beneficiaries. I think Tottenham are the big sufferers of this. I think Liverpool will probably be fine, except they still need City to drop points somewhere. I think Arsenal will struggle a little bit, and I think Chelsea will be all right. And that is all based on depth. Um, whether or not it ends in that order, time will obviously tell. Uh, we'll wrap up here with uh, the topics with... Uh, the PFA Young Player of the Year, we discussed the actual Player of the Year last year. It was almost unanimous that it should be Sterling, uh, with Van Dyke a very close second. Um, but among the nominees, it didn't seem like there was a lot of arguing over whether or not those were the right six to be up for the vote. That consensus, not so much there for Young Player of the Year, where you see players like Sterling and Rashford, obviously seasoned Premier League players, um, still up for the Young Player of the Year because of the weird age cutoff uh, for that rule last year when we discussed this. Um, on that show, we kind of all agreed that maybe it should be shifted to being a first year award rather than just under the age of 24. Um, that way, you know you'd have uh, team uh, players from clubs that have been promoted, perhaps new entrants to the league. Um, then obviously younger players um, that are actually in their 20s that you would consider young uh, as favorites for this award rather than 23 year olds like Sterling who have been playing for what four years, five years now.
0: How long How long did he leave Liverpool ago? That was a while ago. I think it's his eighth season. Eight? eight? Wow. Seven <laughs> seasons. And, uh, three games eight, eight seasons ago. Wow. So okay, it's been so. around for a while. <laughs> right, right, right.
1: Um, so I was just curious to, to start off this topic by asking you guys, do you agree with that, that maybe it should be a first-year thing or, or at least that this rule might need a little tweaking because 24 isn't really young anymore in the sport?
2: Yeah, I think should be because I think the way it should be framed is that it should be more like an upcoming Player of the Year award. It would probably just reflect the need of the award and the purpose of it. By doing that, we'll have players on the list who are young and upcoming and also not over the age of, say, 21 or 22 because the way things are currently, I think Bernardo Silva is also on the list for some reason when he probably should be just on the... Um, senior players list, I mean, the player of the season list. And it's like, if I consider the basis for that award, the winner should be Aaron Wan-Bissaka. I'll be tempted to to go for James Madison, but if not for the slightly underwhelming state, shall I say, that Leicester were in before Ben Rogers came in, he would have been my pick, because Mm. if Leicester would not have been in an underwhelming state before Rogers came, I mean, Madison would have contributed more and he would have had a better season. I think he would have played more for England as well. And But Juan Bissaka will make it to my team of the season as well. I mean, the main team of the season, not the young player team of the season. Because he's just 21 and he's... Uh, at the, and I, I think he made his debut around midpoint of last season. But he's played the whole of this season. And in his first full season, uh, he'll probably also be the first right back for many players who form their uh, team of the season in the Premier League. Madison probably won't. The thing about Juan Bissaka is that he's just a complete fullback. And he's not someone like, say, Hector Bairin, who just likes to fly forward and forgets the fact that he has to drag back and defend as well. And he just knows how to defend. He just gets the fact that he's a right back and a fullback. And it just showed against Arsenal today. And also, the fact that it's not just about Arsenal. He, all the big games that he's played in, he's been he's looked very very assured. And not just going forward, he's looked very very assured at the back as well. And he knows how to defend. I just feel that he's been basically been dropped off a of place in the list of candidates for that list, or whatever we call that
0: list. I think this award needs to change. I can't see the point in giving it a Young Player of the Year award to Raheem starting who has been playing in the Premier League for ages now. Um, both Sterling and Rashford are established Premier League players and shouldn't be in this race and uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold has also been playing in the Premier League for a few years now when I consider him established so they need to change either the age demands or as you say give it to the best player during their first full season almost like the Rookie of the Year award in NHL or something like that Um, a player like Juan Bissaka is the first that comes to my mind Look at the the first-season player. I know that he played a few games last season, but this is his uh, first full season. He has been doing great for Crystal Palace. I don't watch them every week, but uh, the times I've watched him play, he has been uh, impressive. The first time I saw him play was against Liverpool this season, and he was their best player on the field. So if they change the award, they should give it to Van Bessacca, but it would be strange not to give it to Sterling now because he's perhaps the player of the year in the whole league, and uh, of course then he should be the young player of the year as well. But uh, of course I would give the the real award to Van Dijk, but I can understand if you want to see starting get the award. Uh, But he's not a young player anymore. He's an established international, and as I said earlier, I think it's his eighth season in the Premier League. He played uh, seven full seasons and a few games for us when he was very young. So we should uh, have a he could have had this uh, award when he was 17 or 18, not now when he's when he's a grown man. Uh, and since he has done so many good things for Premier League this season and really acted very mature, it would be strange to give him an award for a young player because he seems to be more adult than uh, many of the players in this league now. <laughs> yeah, certainly can't argue with that. I, I think the two of you have pointed
1: out the two players that... Uh, I definitely agree with and seem to be the consensus, which is Madison and and Juan Basaka. Juan Basaka uh, arguably has been the best right-back in the league this season. A lot of that due to injuries, like to the the pair at Liverpool with Gomez and uh, Alexander-Arnold both playing over there. Um, I think Kyle Walker has regressed pretty massively for City this season. Uh, And then there just aren't that many other good right-backs in the Premier League. Uh, You what?
2: Keaton Trippier is there. Ooh!
1: Near miss. Um, <laughs> I saw uh, somebody mentioned that we put him on the market for $40 million, and I was like, yeah, absolutely, please. I don't know if you remember, there was a rumor that Madrid were interested last season, and uh, yeah. we probably would have had a better season if Trippier had not been at the club, which is a pretty rude thing to say about a player, but it's also probably the case. Um, but anyway, uh, Wambasaka has been incredible. Just add a little bit of statistics to it, uh, he's been top three in both tackles one and in interceptions in his first full campaign. Which is ridiculous. Madison, along similar lines, leads the league in chances created with 94. That's incredible for a first year player to do in the Premier League. It really shows why Liverpool and Tottenham were both chasing him so hard. But credit to him because I don't think he would have had a season like this if he had joined either of them. I think he really needed to go to a club where he just steered the ship. um, And he's done very well in doing so for Leicester uh, this season. So I agree with you. Yes, the rules should probably be changed. Yes, those two probably should have been nominees. Um, but (laughs) unfortunately we don't get to make the decisions, but, uh, that's definitely where we stand on that. Uh, now we'll take a quick break and now we will be back with club specific questions for each of our guests.
0: This mother's day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from blue Nile, whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation.
1: Alright, starting with you on Manchester United cause, um, a lot of the media are turning this into a Solskjaer thing, but I think a lot of this obviously needs to go down to the players, which we mentioned in the open a little bit. Um, In the post-match press conference, Solskjaer was asked uh, if his players care enough to play for United, and his answer was, I don't know, which is about as condemning a statement as you can make for your your players, because you'd probably just be sacked if you just said no. Um, So... Why do you think that that has become the culture at Manchester United? Because this is now the fourth very good manager to take over at Manchester United that has faced the same question of, of like the dedication of his players. What, what do you think's gone wrong there?
2: I think um, this club's basically just rotten from the top to bottom, apart from the manager, because a lot of times whatever goes wrong is the manager who basically just gets thrown the blame at when because under Mourinho. Uh, the players had someone to hide behind because even when they were underperforming, they could hide behind the blame and all the abuse that Mourinho used to get because now it's just come out in the open after, especially today. And because Solskjaer is basically the darling of the club and the fact that he started off really, really well at the club and he made everyone at the club really, really happy. And... It's it would be very very unfair to blame Solskjaer because uh, there are a lot of bigger things that are wrong at the club and I think even if a football manager for manages United I don't think he's, he's going to succeed because um, as soon as Alexis Sanchez was brought into the club the whole weight structure and all the balance that this club had before he came in that just went down the drain. And because of that, players are asking for wages that the club can afford, but it's not like they've not proved themselves to earn that much. Because as much as I would want a player like Ando Herrera to stay at the club, he should, it's not really deserving of a wage of as much as he's asking, how much ever he's asking, because we can only speculate how much he's asking for. And that's had an effect on how the team plays because this has uh, rumors about uh, a lot of players have gone about in the media, even Lukaku's being uh, rumored to be looking for a move away, although the agent wasn't really clear about saying that he just really wants to leave. But it just sort of breaks the morale at the club and the Pogba nonsense never really stops because... It's like as soon as his performances start to drop, the rumors start to go up again, and even for Martial, I think Solja was very, has been very vocal about uh, Martial underperforming and not seemingly just wanting it enough. But it's like um, it's it has just changed the balance of the club, and it can only come back into the right balance once once we end up selling Alexis Sanchez. Because the players don't really know their worth. And today's defeat just showed what they really are worth and what actually they are and what their real standard is. Just like what the standard of the club is, which I think is sixth and to stay at sixth and play the Europa League and not the Champions League. And I think it's like um, I'm not really now expecting too much because we've seen that what the players are worth. Because it does seem like the players don't really want it. As soon as Scott McTominay came on today, we sort of saw glimpses that they somewhat want to win the game because Scott McTominay really, really loves the club. And I think I read in in a piece by MEN after the game that uh, McTominay and Pogba were probably the only players who were forced to hang their heads in shame. And it's like, you can't say much about it. It is what it is, and we've got to get rid of the situation by selling players like Alexis Sanchez, who do absolutely nothing and um, earn bad money. And once that problem does not go away, players will not be fully committed. And as I previously previously uh, pointed out, that United are just a, they just define what whatever is wrong with football these days.
1: All right, and then coming to you now, uh, Thomas, to talk a little bit about Liverpool. I actually saw somebody today. We mentioned how there was little controversy around player of the year. But there was somebody that was uh, making a case for why Alisson has actually been more impactful than Virgil van Dyke uh, for Liverpool this season. Obviously, that's hard, it's a hard thing to separate since the two of them are performing the same function, preventing uh, goals. But curious to hear, hear your thoughts on that because we've heard a lot about van Dyke, but I feel like Alisson's been a little bit overlooked this year.
0: Yeah, uh, I agree. Alisson has been very important to us this season. Uh, he doesn't have to make many saves during the games, but uh, it was the same with league But when he had to make the saves, he wasn't mentally ready to do it. And uh, Alisson is... If, we, um, if he has to make the important saves, you know, the the dying minutes of the game, he usually does. He, he saved us in the last game in the Champions League against Napoli with an important save, and he has done that many times... Uh, there was a lot of talk about uh, his uh, ability with feet when he came to us and that he was a good football player. But um, I think that the best thing that he has brought to the club is that he is such a good goalkeeper in the air. Uh, of course, there are many corners that Van Dijk can uh, can head away from the penalty area. But uh, Alisson is very, com- very comfortable in his penalty area. And it doesn't matter how big the attackers are, he is always on the the first one to hit the ball. He had a mistake today where Cardiff should have equalized, but he was lucky to get away with it. And apart from that, I don't think he has made that many mistakes this season. And I think he's on 18 or something like that, clean sheets during the season. That's amazing for a team like Liverpool, who has been used to goalkeepers like Karius and Mignolet, who's having one good game and two bad games. And um, now we have a goalkeeper who's who's good every game. And especially his mental ability is uh, important because this season Liverpool uh, is attacking almost during the whole games. And there are very, very rarely teams uh, attack us. And then then you need to be uh, focused when the ball is in their own penalty area. And Alisson is. So um, I think he has been very important to us. I don't think that he's been... As important as Van Dijk, maybe, but uh, if you look at the difference now, uh, if you compare to the last season with Mignolet and Carius, it's uh, obvious that Allison has been a key signing for us. And I don't think we would be in the situation that we are now if we would have if we hadn't signed him. We've lost one game during the whole season, and uh, he saved us a few times. And um, when we need him, he's there. So uh, I think he will uh, need to show his. Uh, best side when we play Barcelona in a few weeks' time. But uh, apart from that, when when the the shots that he needs to save, he saves. And uh, of course, he concedes a goal sometimes, but um, there are very rarely goals that he should have saved that is going into the back of the net. So I'm really happy to have Alisson in our team. And uh, I think it will be even better next season. Now that he have has uh, one season in the Premier League and he's getting more more used to the pressure that he's under, especially when it's the ball at his feet. So maybe we can use him even more uh, with the ball at the ground next season. But, uh, of course, he's been one of the best players in our squad this season. And he's been starting almost every game. And, uh, yeah, I'm very happy to have him at Liverpool. He is indeed very, very good. Um, Do you guys have any questions about Tottenham? Well, uh, I'm just I'm just a bit disappointed at know, <laughs> so I don't know what to ask. It's <laughs> not really a question. more I was of a statement. statement. you to, um, <laughs> Yeah, I was hoping for you to
1: hurt <laughs> Yeah, well, we're, we're sorry we let you down. Like I said, I did think we would win the one of the three, and then that ended up being the case. The fact that it was a home win without a conceded away goal was massive um, at the new stadium, obviously. It, it was just genuinely insane, especially that match on Wednesday. Um, that one was really just the is highlight a thing that you say? Just just heart racing. I, I joked with a friend of mine that uh, it's really nice of Tottenham to give free health checks to every Tottenham fan by checking their hearts um, just about every time we play. That whole VAR situation at the end with the chalked off Manchester City goal was was insane. You, you go from one second feeling like it's the same narrative, come back to bite Tottenham again of you know quote unquote bottling or. You know, falling short in those big situations, uh, especially Ericsson who I'm, I don't know if you guys saw, said he felt like the luckiest player in the world um, after that horrendous back pass that led to that Sterling goal that was then eventually chalked off. Um, instead of just clearing it, it, it just it just felt like same old Tottenham over again. You know, biting themselves, and for it to just because Aguero and he was offside. I don't think there's I've seen anyone argue that he wasn't. Um, just to to have that competition saved by that narrow of a margin I thought was incredible but kind of tying back into the opening topic a lot of Liverpool fans I saw celebrating that we'd beaten City and I was like I don't think this benefits you uh, in the league and then conversely the same thing I saw some people mocking um, uh, um, where was I going with this oh oh complaining about Tottenham advancing like uh, Arsenal fans and Chelsea fans they were like celebrating the City goal but then Super sad right after we conceded. I was like, this does help you. It just felt like everybody was on the (laughs) wrong side of what they should have actually been supporting. Like, I understand people wanted City to struggle. They wanted Tottenham to struggle, depending on which fan bases they are. But it seemed like everybody was just getting it wrong. It was very strange um, because... Obviously, us continuing in the tournament makes it more likely, as we discussed earlier, that Arsenal or Chelsea could take a top-four spot. Obviously, uh, City being knocked out of the tournament means they can just focus on the Premier League now, which doesn't really benefit Liverpool's Premier League case. So, that was a little bit weird. But, yeah, sorry for not winning at the weekend. uh, As we mentioned earlier, we did look a little bit sluggish. But we still had four or five legitimate chances. Um, Well, hmm. Let me rephrase that. We had like six half chances, and just on balance of talent and average of of play, you'd assume one of those goes in, um, but obviously uh, none of them did. I I thought we played well considering. I thought the substitutions were strange um, from Pochettino, as as I tweeted out afterwards. Davinson Sanchez is an amazing on-the-ball defender, um, but when he's just marking space, he, he, it genuinely feels like he has no perception of the depth between him and the man he's marking as soon as they leave his line of sight, which is obviously a difficult thing to gauge, but the, the high-level defenders have to be able to do that, and he just can't. It's, it's a huge weakness in his game, and time after time, those are the goals that we concede when Davinson is playing for us, and I think that's one of the reasons why playing in the back three has been far less effective for us this year than it was last year, um, is I, I think people have noticed that and targeted it. It happened it, against Fulham. In like the third week of the season, and then it happens this weekend. I mean, the, the fact that you have the same issue, and, and it hasn't been worked on enough to avoid it. And it happened to, to Devinson twice at the weekend. Both the actual goal, um, where he lost track of Foden at the back post, and then the uh, Sterling chance that was deflected by Gazaniga, um, just instinct save. Um, he, he lost track of Sané off his back shoulder, and he, he really needs to work on that to improve. <laughs> but yes, Sorry to ourselves first for not getting anything out of that City match. Then I suppose sorry to to Liverpool as well. Now it's Manchester United that you need to help you, which I'm sure is an uncomfortable alliance. Um, (laughs) But uh, I think the fact that Arsenal ended up dropping points really saved us. I think United dropping points helped us as well. Uh, I know people are saying Chelsea play tomorrow, but that will take them back up to 35 games played. Right now, everybody's level. They played the same amount of matches, and Tottenham are still in third. Uh, through <laughs> every attempt of us to ruin that, uh, everybody else has kind of backed us up as well. All right, next up, we'll head into Player Watch, where this week we're going to be discussing a player at your club that you feel is a little bit overrated, maybe by your own fan base or by neutrals. Uh, we'll start off with you, Kaz. Uh,
2: it's really tough to say that, because considering the situation we're in, everyone's just about getting abused just as much as the other one. For me, mm-hmm. not good enough and not just wanting it as much as the fans would be at Martial be it Pogba, be it Matic or Rashford Lukaku and even De Gea. and at, t- at a time like this it's very tough to know who is what and the fact that we know how good we really are now I don't think I will point out one player after the Everton loss I would not want to do it because we really know who is what now and it's come to a point we we don't really rate anyone as much as we did about say a month ago anyone else could have really very easily said Pogba but I won't say that because to make the to make our most important player a scapegoat is not unfair every single time but he's also our best player you can't you can never deny that and although I don't really like him too much it's it would be very unfair to call him overrated he's not consistent enough and does pull off some antics here and there but he's re, he's I think, one of the best midfielders in the world on his day. He either needs the players around him to be in perfect form or he needs to play with better teammates. He can't be in the middle. It either has to be the first one or the second one. And I felt he was one of our better players today. Probably the best one. I know the stand for best when we lose to is very, very low. But at least he tried well more than the other one. But if this question would have been posed to me about say two or three weeks ago I would probably have said Anthony Martial I mean he's a world beater on this day he can win games at will and change games on his own with just what every ability he has but on an off day he reminds me a lot of Nani to be very honest he's very inconsistent
0: Liverpool are having an amazing season and uh, I think it's hard to point out players who are overrated it would be easy to say which players are underrated Because if you look at players like Matip, Henderson, Milner, there are many players doing better than they get credit for. So to find an overrated player in this team isn't very easy. Uh, The one that comes to my mind is maybe Sheridan Shakiri. Uh, There are many supporters who want him to play more than he does and uh, rates him maybe a bit too high. I think he is uh, sloppy defensively and not efficient enough going forward. He tries too much when he plays and uh, he always wants to find the... To create a goal-scoring opportunity when, uh, when instead of playing it easy, he hasn't been playing much lately. So I guess the club hasn't been very impressed with him either. So uh, maybe I have to say Shakira, But uh, many supporters, supporters want him to play. So uh, I think that uh, I don't. I think that we might have to wait for him next season. Uh, but uh, today I would call him the most overrated player in Liverpool. This question would have been a lot easier last season because I never realised why so many supporters and uh, neutrals in in general rated Emre Can. He was uh, slow, not good enough on the ball and always tried too hard. I was uh, surprised when Juventus wanted to sign him and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if his next club is a much smaller club than uh, Juventus. But... um, Liverpool today doesn't have any real overrated players because we have lost one game during this Premier League season. And uh, it's, it's an amazing team. And uh, I rate them all very high. But if I had to mention one of them, it has, I think it would be Shaqiri. Mm.
1: Um, yeah, it's pretty impressive considering uh, he's not really part of the first eleven um, For Tottenham... Um, I have a, <laughs> and listeners of the show will know, a long waging war with Christian Eriksson over why he's not a, as good a player as I think he should be. Um, so I won't get into that again. Davinson, who I just mentioned, uh, is obviously another one. Um, but for me, it, it, it's probably Hugo Lloris. And it's really painful to say that considering how huge he stepped up for us the past couple of months um, with the uh, penalty save against Vardy. Um, with the penalty save against Aubameyang, and then obviously the one against Aguero. I mean, that that basically kept us in the race for the top four, the two Premier League ones, and the other one literally helped advance us um, to the next round of the Champions League. But his level has dropped off significantly. Um, And it's a constant war being fought within the fan base of whether or not to give Gazaniga a shout. Obviously, we did that this weekend, and he did concede that one goal, but he also made that phenomenal save against Sterling. Um, And Hugo still has time left. It's not like he's... You know, uh, in the upper age uh, tiers for a goalkeeper, um, he's still going to be around for a while. I think it's good to have a player like Gazaniga who you've tapped as the heir apparent, whether or not he gets there or not remains to be seen. Um I have seen some Tottenham fans say that we need to do what Liverpool did, where they liked Carius, but realized that that was the weak weak spot in their team. Um, And then they just went out and signed Allison and just kind of sent Carrius out to the wilderness um, on loan, actually. I think he's still coming back, which is going to be interesting. Um, But, uh, yeah, that's just kind of where we're at with Lloris right now. It seems like a lot of times he's just a little bit too slow to things. Um, If people saw that that crazy match against City in the Champions League, um, the Sterling goal that didn't end up going in hit him. Um, The Bernardo Silva one hit him. It, it, ju- it just seems like things are taking good bounces off of him. And it, like we mentioned with De Gea earlier, sometimes it's just a confidence thing. Um, I mean, Fabianski, I mean, the whole Flappy Hanski joke about him, and then look what he did for, for Swansea. And then I know that West Ham haven't been that great this year, but his save tallies are still insane. Um, it just feels like maybe that's happening with Lloris right now, that even when he is getting to things, he's not getting to them strongly, and some of them still end up in the back of the net. Uh And the problem with that is he's club captain, um, and he just won the world cup in a team where we keep saying that this team needs to win something, not just to be able to win something, to put something in the trophy cabinet, which is what fans of every other club wants us or, or accuses us of not doing. But as a Tottenham fan, the reason why you want to win something is it opens up a winning period where everybody in that team has won something. And then it kind of gives you that experience. Um, so then the fact that Hugo is now our only like real quote unquote winner, uh, also, makes it hard to drop him. Um, I was impressed that Posh took the, the gamble on Gazaniga against City. Uh, it, quote unquote, didn't work because we lost the match, but I thought he, he played fairly well. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I think Luis is the one that's dropped his level of late, but hopefully he can recapture it uh, moving forward. All right, and we will wrap with uh, a little bit of match previews, but instead of actually previewing previewing them at all, since we've already passed the hour mark, uh, we'll just ask for a result. Uh, I'll start with Tottenham versus Brighton. They are now wholly in a survival chase um, where where Cardiff could catch them up. Um, I'm going to say the Tottenham win 2-1, but it's not going to be a fun one. Uh, Cause up to you next with the Manchester Derby.
2: I mean, I don't really know what to say because I'm not expecting much. But I somehow I've got this sneaky feeling that we might just play well, but still end up losing. So I'll say well, say we will lose three-one again.
1: All right, and then we'll wrap so, up sorry, with you, Thomas with Liverpool and uh, Huddersfield.
2: Well,
0: uh, I hope we can find we can win comfortably to the worst team in the league. So perhaps a 3 0 win with two goals with we'll lead two goals at half time.
1: All right, and that'll do it for us today. So, guys, if you'd like to tell the folks where they can reach you or any projects you're working on, now would be a good time.
2: I'm on Twitter at course underscore ponder17. I write for Carl Simicato, and i have also started writing for the edition of Manchester Evening News. I also write for feature websites like These Football Times and In Bed with Maradon.
0: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Thomas Nygren. I write about Liverpool for lfcsv.se. It's a Swedish website, but we have some content in English as well. Uh, I also do a podcast called Total Liverpool Podcast, which is in Swedish. But uh, well, if if you understand Swedish or if you want to learn Swedish, it's you can start with our podcast.
1: Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. I cover fantasy football for both ESPN and Goal. So if you're interested in that aspect of the game, go check that out. Also, I would urge you to go listen to our championship show as things are getting a bit insane in that league um, as we wait to hear which uh, two of them will be coming up immediately and then Obviously, they'll be covering the playoffs as well when those start, so give that a listen on this very channel as well. Uh, thanks to you, uh, Kaz and Tomas, for both coming on today. It was an absolute pleasure, as always, and we hope you keep listening.
2: A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend.